Hi, my name is Claire Murray and I'm the managing partner and founder of specialist partnership and employment law firm CM Murray. And I'm delighted to welcome you to this first in a series of law firm founder conversations where I'm going to be chatting with leading law firm founders in the UK and internationally and discussing their journey on setting up and growing a law firm. And hopefully as we go along, we may inspire a few law firm founders, including more women and more diverse firm owners. We're hopefully going to share some practical tips on setting up and growing a law firm. And we're going to explore some of the highs and lows of setting up a law firm and driving its long term growth and success. And I'm absolutely delighted to be joined today by my really good friend, Laura Devine. Laura is the founder and managing partner of Laura Devine Immigration, which is one of the world's best known immigration law firms with offices in London and New York. The firm is described as a transatlantic powerhouse. It's ranked as a top tier firm in immigration in all the legal directories. And Laura herself has been the recipient of many accolades, both as a global immigration law specialist and thought leader and as a business leader. So I am Absolutely delighted, Laura, that you've agreed to be part of our first law firm founder chat. Thank you so much. Thank you for the invitation, Claire. So can you just give us an overview about your business, which you founded, and um, its, its size and uh, place in the market? And, and I guess what distinguishes you and your, your business from your competitors? Well, I'd like to start off by saying that I've, we've had more highs than lows. And I, I personally have in running the firm all these years. The business, um, as you said, it's a boutique immigration firm with um, offices in London and New York, and both offices offer UK and US immigration. So that's where the transatlantic bit came in. Um, I do want to stress that we do more than transatlantic. We don't just do Americans coming into the UK and Brits going to the US. We have clients from all over the world. As far as size is concerned, I think we're the perfect size. In London, we have about 50 staff and in New York, 10. I think it's a, a, a good size in that um, we have a sufficient number of staff to, to do the work that we get in. I want to stress that over 80% of the staff are women. And that is not um, socially engineered. It's just um, we've chosen the, the best staff um, that's available to us. For, for many years, we've been um, rated number one, a bit like you are, Claire, at CM Murray, you're um, highly rated in employment. We are in immigration and we don't take it for granted. It's hard to get into the top rankings and it's really hard to stay there. And it takes a lot of work from all the staff to do so. As a boutique immigration firm, it's, it's unusual. I think I'm the only one where it's run by, um, run by a woman. It's unusual that it does two practices in two jurisdictions doing two different um, areas of immigration. It's partner-led and the size allows us to be nimble and agile, which in this market I think is very important. Yeah. So, so you and I first met, I'd say, more than 25 years ago when we were both at Eversheds. Yeah. Uh, where I started life, you know, as, as a junior lawyer, ever said, what was Jake's and Lewis? And I just wondered what what made you take the leap, you know, from, from being in a very large firm, full service firm like that, and even larger now, to set up, setting up your own practice and, and kind of what was your vision for it? 
Well, when I was at Evershed's, uh, I had a very unusual um, relationship with Evershed's. I had a joint venture. I worked there as a consultant. Um, I used the umbrella of Evershed's, but I employed my own staff and had my own payroll. But it came to crunch that I was offered partnership and it was nothing to do with it being at Evershed's. I really didn't fancy partnership in a large law firm. So we had six months um, in which we remained with Evershed's, but kind of working our, our notice out. And we then spent the six months setting up the firm. And one of the reasons I wanted to do it, as well as not wanting to be a partner in a large law firm, was immigration at the time. I don't think it was taken particularly seriously. I think it is now. Mm. But at the time, I felt that large law firms wanted to do it because they didn't necessarily want to service immigration clients. But with corporates, they wanted the work that was generated from that corporate work, tax work, co commercial work. Whereas I was passionate about immigration, I wanted it to be at the forefront of the firm. And I wanted to um, be surrounded by enthusiastic people who wanted to do the same. And I think being in charge, it means that you can have a more personal relationship with them and encourage them which is much more difficult to do, or was then, in a large law firm. And did you have a sense of the scale that you wanted it to be at that, at that early stage? No. <laughs> no is the answer. And I, um, I certainly didn't think I would ever employ 60, 60 staff. It still surprises me, actually. It still surprises. And, uh, I mean, uh, do you have any sort of plans for further, sort of further growth? Or is that, that, is, does that feel like a comfortable size? I think it's a comfortable size. I know everyone personally, even those we recruited in, in lockdown. Mm -hmm. um, I've met them in the office. I've been in the office um, every day. And as I say, I'd rather expand in profits and reputation rather than numbers of em employees. Yeah, I do think it's a real, it's a real tension. You know, you, you often set up a business and, and you sort of want to bring your own values and you want to have great flexibility and you want to have personal relationships with everyone and you want it obviously to be very successful so you have that sense but then on the on the other end of the scale you know you need to get a certain capacity a certain you know certain level of growth to make you robust as a business so there's often this tension but you know as a founder you you kind of you want to stay small and keep it intimate and keep it very strongly um, with your sort of imprint and values and on the other hand you sort of have to grow to be robust and to um, you know to be able to weather the storms as well as benefit from the from the upside and I just wondered about when you were setting up the business you know what what resources did you have I mean what so for example in terms of funding how did you how did you fund it well, um, because I had had the six months ever shared, so I had that time to develop as an immigration lawyer, to develop as a, as a manager. As I say, I already had a payroll, so I transferred that payroll to, to my firm. But we had the expenses of renting an office in the city, IT, um, practicing certificates, but I didn't borrow any money. Ever. No, we've never borrowed money. Which is incredible. Incredible that you've achieved this growth and this success and you've done it without borrowing a, a single penny. So, so how, I mean, how have you done it? Have you just been extremely um, sort of frugal? Extre I mean, how have you done it? Maybe I've been very Scottish and I've, I've, I've not spent as much money. But having said that, 
um, I'm not afraid to, to spend money. I'm not afraid to get the best external advisors. I've, I've used you as a, as a lawyer. You've advised me in, in the past. Um, so I'm, we're not penny pinching. I think if you set up a firm, you've got to expect to, to spend money. But manage it the way you would your own finances. I feel if I haven't got the money, then we, we don't spend it. I don't think we've necessarily had to hold back on anything. Maybe I might have invested sooner in new technology, but we've, we've just done that. We were going to do that before the pandemic. Um, and then we, we put off doing that. And then we've just recently signed a contract. So we'll have a new IT system. But as far as resources are concerned, I've had lots of good people give me good advice over the years and I've got great colleagues. I think they're the best resources that you can have. I think that's right. Absolutely. It sounds as if, unlike a lot of law firms, you've actually left quite a lot of the money still in the business so that you can continue, use that as working capital. I'd say more commonly in law firms, they fund it with external funding, you know, borrow, you know partner capital, um, uh, loans, etc. And then a lot of the profit share is taken out very rapidly. So it's kind of all credit to you that, that you've been um, so careful. And, and certainly as a business, we found that you know, when we got really excellent uh, financial advice, very senior financial advice, that was a really critical turning point. I do think often with, you know, um, law firm founders, there can be a little bit of a tendency to do everything yourself. And actually, it's just not possible. It's not possible. And you're your own worst enemy. You sort of, you need professional financial help, really good, rigorous help you know, both from a cash flow, VAT, all that sort of thing, but also from a regulatory perspective mm-hmm. um, and good HR advice. I really yeah. think it's, 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 a, it's a bad idea to try and do it all yourself. A really bad idea and you can't possibly do it and you can't be good at everything. Um, I'm a great one for having external advisors. Um, I ask um, for advice all the time you know, and I'm happy to pay for, for, for good advice. I would always have somebody draft employment contracts. I even have somebody look at a new photocopy contract because I'm not going to spend hours and hours reading something I'm not interested in and I wouldn't necessarily understand. I think that's right. Good advisors, both internally and externally. I mean, for us, a big turning point was having our own part-time GC, Beth Hale, who's fabulous. And that's fabulous. And that, so that made a real critical sort of difference for us and having sort of proper infrastructure and again there can be a tendency to go light on that in the early days but when we put the, that infrastructure in place it made a big difference and really freed a number of us to kind of grow the business. Um, so in terms of growth can you tell us a bit about which I think is really interesting is your international growth so your your journey of setting up your New York office and I guess from your practical experience some tips on maybe what to do and what to look out for? Well, for me, it was kind of easy to to set up a a US office in that I'm a huge lover of of America. Uh, I was dual qualified. I was interested in US immigration as well as UK. So we brought somebody in to do US immigration in the UK. And strangely, I had in mind to set up an office and a former client of mine who had been in the UK so long, he became British and he he went back to New York and he said to me, you're always talking about setting up an office. And he gave me a room in his office. He inherited an office block 
he and his three brothers and they gave me a room in his office six months rent free oh, so that amazing. was for me to to do it and I went out and set up the office and then I handed it over to one of my partners um so I think if somebody was thinking of doing it I would make sure that I, you know I would say to them you know ask them why they wanted to do it is there a market for their their services and there was a market for our US um, and UK services so look at the advantages suss out the competition go and live there for a while if you have the relevant visa to do so I must say <laughs> and um, if you haven't I know someone who might be able to help you with that yes yes thank you um, I do think you need to be on the ground for some considerable time and I would always have and I always have had somebody who was homegrown in London running that office I think it's really important to work with somebody for you to share values um, to understand each other trust each other what, what about sort of you know you've got different sort of insurance regimes you've got regulatory regimes how you know how as a as a founder with you know a, a specialist business how do you get your head around all of that um by asking other people for for, for their, their advice it's really important to look at initially look at the, the structure and is it going to are the, are the two businesses going to be related or are they just are you just going to have them as you being the founder of both firms, are you going to merge them? What's really, really important is tax structure. And then the latest thing is like people working from home. So we are based in New York, but we actually have a lawyer who's working in another state. So that has caused regulatory, I wouldn't say problems, but um, matters we had to address. Mm. The employment laws are very different. Uh, it's really, really different and difficult, but really interesting and fascinating. And um, I would recommend it, um, but you've got to really, really think out and take it slowly. But it is doable with the right advice and the right support and proper planning. And ask people, ask people who have, have done it, um, even if you don't know them. And you and I over the years, I'm sure we've had people phone up. I haven't even known who they are, but they've said, and they're usually women and saying I'm thinking of setting up a, a firm or upset thinking of setting up in the States, you know, have you got any advice for me? But there has to be a market for it and it has to be a long-term thing. I, you can't just dip your toe and then decide against it. Yeah, because so I'm going to pick up on something you said there about lots of women contacting you about sort of potentially setting up. It is interesting to me that there are only, relatively speaking, few female law firm founders there are some and they've done fabulously and you and your firm included in that um and I just wondered why you think that is I'll give you an example I did a, a kind of a business program about four years ago and they were like in my cohort there were about 70 all together and of those 70 there were only like six women these were all business you know like owners and I find it really interesting as to, as to what is it that's kind of holding women back from taking that leap and um, what can we sort of do to encourage them? I, I mean, I'm sort of hoping that, that these conversations actually will help encourage a whole diverse range of people to go, you know what, it is my dream to have my own business, have my own firm. And frankly, if they can do it, so can I. It's a risky business. It is a risky business. 
I would say I think because of, um, as we all know, good things have come out of the, the last 20 months and with people being comfortable working from home and employers being comfortable and stuff working from home um, and people working from home, it's helped in a, in a number of ways. There's, you don't spend so much time commuting. It helps with childcare. I just wonder if it will encourage more women um, to, to do it because they're, they're in control, they're in their home environment. Mm. And we might not have the big cost, or we won't have the big cost of, of offices. So it may well be less expensive to do. That's a really good point. So actually the, the greater sort of remote working actually does give people more, more opportunity to take control and, um, and set up their own firms. So, so from my own experience, I know that uh, for a long time, I was too cautious. And I think that can be a bit of a problem. You have to be quite bold. Were you too cautious? I did not growth. I think, I think, you know, for a long time, we were just too cautious when it came to growth, you know, and then Wee's business revisited that and then saw that actually there was a real imperative to grow in this market to stay relevant, stay ahead, um, and to really achieve the, the the sort of the strategy that we wanted to achieve. So growth was actually, you know, kind of in headcount, in revenues and in profitability was actually became essential in order to be, basically do the best work, retain the best talent. And so my na- sort of natural initial caution, even though I'd set up the business, I was cautious in how we grew it. And I was, and, I, and like you, I was really cautious in how we funded it as well. And then mm. I had a little bit of a Damascus moment from this kind of, from this business program. Um, and that gave me this sort of little bit of voodoo to, to sort of take external funding, grow and gave me a confidence. And I do think external business programs that sort of mentor and support women and say, you know, not only can you do it, you can get money to fund it and to grow and that you should grow, that actually the key to your success is, is in part going to be a bold vision and growth planning. But you may have been cautious at the outset, but over the last few years, you've really expanded. You've done what I have, and I have remained a boutique immigration firm doing UK and US, whereas you've gone from employment to partnership to advisory, you've really expanded in what you offer clients. It's nice that you think that it still feels super niche, but we've sort we have, yeah, we've certainly grown. And I think that's been critical to sort of our success and hopefully our long-term future as well. And we've been able to bring in fabulous people because we've just invested more. Yeah, you're a real ideas person, Claire, and you've been fantastic over the last 12 months. So most days I get an email from your firm offering some, you know, webinar or sharing of information. And I always, they're always worth looking at. Um, and, you know, I've been on many of your, um, your webinars over the last 20 months. So you're really good. You're much better at digital marketing than I am. You're not very good at well, that, That's really kind. I, I might sort of set the general framework, but it's, it's these amazing colleagues of mine that, and partners that I've brought in and the senior associates and the associates are driving it all. So, yeah. I mean, if you were setting up your business now, but with the benefit of all this knowledge, I guess, firstly, would you still do it? And would you do it in this way? Yes, I would. I would still do it. As much as I see myself as a lawyer, I also see myself as a, as a business owner. And, you know, I'm very, a very people-orientated person. I don't know whether... Um, there is definitely more regulation now than there was when I set it up. Hmm. And then 
and I don't know whether it's appropriate to say, we're going to say, but the C word then was clients, clients, clients. That was all, you know, the ultimate, the um, paramount um, looking after you, your client, far more than employees or well-being or mental health. They, they were not mentioned. Whereas today, the C word is compliance, compliance, compliance. And I do think if you actually sit down and think what the likes of you and I and, and uh, other business owners, law firms are responsible for, it's frightening. But I think I would, I would probably, I would probably still do it. Yeah. So I, I, I totally agree that the, the regulatory burden is significant, and you really have to commit a lot of time and resources to staying on top of it, and actually to make it, kind of just make it really immersive in your firm, so that people understand that, you know, that we're bound by a code of ethics, and and that ultimately, uh, you know, that's what guides us. I think the old days of being at the absolute first and foremost kind of client, client, client. I'm, I'm not sure that's what the ethical rules actually said, that it was always clients first. But, but I think culturally it was. I think there has been a shift away from that psychologically within firms that it's n- not necessarily clients first. It's actually, it's the rule of law. It's about, you know, um, uh, maintaining the rule of law and the, and the, um, uh, and the trust that's placed in you as, as solicitors, you know, but it is as a business owner, it is a, a financial and administrative cost, absolutely without without question. And sometimes that can feel like it's a bit overwhelming. In terms of you know being overwhelmed, I mean, I know how hard you work, and um, and how dedicated you are to the business and to driving its success. And I just wonder how as a founder you cope with that you know there'll be times that are fabulous and there'll be times when you're just dealing with stress you might be dealing with a crisis situation and bringing that under control and I just wondered how you have how you've got through those times and what sort of resources you've had to I guess personal and otherwise to 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 support you through those times of stress like um, with many people I, I think I don't necessarily notice I'm stressed. Often it's at the end of it when you've, you know, you've finished it, you know, oh my God, that was stressful. I think the last 20 months, everyone has found it extremely stressful. They were worried about health, they were worried about finance, they were worried about, did they have a job? There was lots and lots of things to worry about. And I know my team were, you know, were really stressed. We did training throughout to help, you know, we did CBT training. We did training on how the managers um, managed virtually, um, dealing with difficult clients. And then we looked at, we had somebody training us on the tools that we should surround ourselves with to um, help us with, with mental health. And we as a firm have always taken mental health pretty seriously. We won the LexisNexis Wellbeing Award. So we do, we do, okay. we do try to look, look after staff, but you know, there were some who were not happy last year. I'm not particularly good at looking at my um, mental health. It's something I know, but physically, I did try to. I've tried to keep fit over the, the last 20 months. Um, at the beginning, I was running into work um, oh. when there was a lockdown, so I ran from Greenwich to the city, which was 10k. Um, but you have to be really organised when you run in because you've got to make sure you've got everything in the office, you know, clothes-wise and handbag-wise and whatever. But it did. Um, did give me um, time to, to think things through. Mm. Um, and I think, um, as you know, 
staff-wise, people are much more willing to talk about their mental health than, than the our days are ever shared. So we'd never said anything to anyone. I think mm-hmm. even maybe four or five years ago, people wouldn't. It's it's literally just been in the last few years. There's much more a sense of openness and discussion and inclusion. And it's such a common issue. I also think this generation or these generations coming up after us are much just much better at talking about these things than we ever we ever were or were ever encouraged to do so. What, what have you done? What have been your tools to deal with? Personally, um, exercise where I can. I've, I've resorted to a bit of professional counselling where necessary, you know, just to get, the, you know, kind of a, a reality check. Trying to get some boundaries, but I find that really hard because, you know, um, often our client work is advising on matters which sort of with extreme sort of crisis and you know if someone's in a real crisis and you're not available that can be even even when you're just one of a number of people I might be co-counseling with another partner and an associate on a matter but you know if that call comes at eight o'clock and the person is in crisis there's no sort of saying to them I'm sorry I'm available at sort of nine o'clock tomorrow morning um, and you and I, I know we've talked offline about, you know, is there a time when one could even go down to four days a week? And your response to me was? Well, John, my partner said to me, he'd like to see me doing six days a week or five days a week. First. Before, yeah, yeah, it's it's really difficult. On the other hand, I think clients are more aware now of the, the hours that people work or, you know, the sign-offs, I work Monday, Tuesday and Wednesday or, I, you know, I'm working, I'm shifting, shifting hours. So I think clients can be more respectful of that. Yeah, um, tell you a bit that you might have seen it, you know, the, the, the mindfulness business charter, I think is excellent and well worth looking at, you know, about sort of communicating things like just because I'm sending this to you and I choose to work at midnight, I, I'm not expecting you to answer outside your normal hour. I think that's such a powerful thing. In our office, we have NNR, no need reply, you know, or, or this is for Monday or, yeah. Yeah. So look, do you think, you know, if someone is out there thinking, I've had enough of big law or medium-sized law and I really think I've got an amazing niche or an amazing kind of business opportunity in the legal sector but I just don't know do you think there are particular attributes that you need to be a law firm founder? I think many of them are attributes you need as a, as a, a lawyer that you know hard work and focus if somebody asks me about setting up a law firm I'm usually you know absolutely positive about it and say go for it but I always ask one question and I ask, are they warriors? And if they say they are, I said, think long and hard about running a law firm because there is always something to worry about. Mm. There, you know, there is always something. And I say, you have to be the sort of person who doesn't take it home with them. Like if my lawyers or staff are worried about something, I say, well, don't take it home at the weekend because I'm not taking it home. If I'm not worried about it, you shouldn't be. Um, That's a nice message to be giving to people, actually. Hmm. I mean, I, I agree about the worrying, but I sometimes think in our, our risk-heavy world, you kind of need to worry. You need to be or at least very aware of the issues, and, and, but being able to have a plan as to how to deal with them. I also be, be concerned about it. Be concerned, yeah. Not, but not, not worried. There's some areas of law that may be 
easier to 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 set up a firm like your area employment my area immigration family to set up boutique firms there are some areas i don't think are particularly would be particularly attractive for i don't maybe if you're a banking lawyer or a litigator or a corporate maybe more difficult to do it as a as a, um, as a boutique firm although i think that there are some excellent boutiques out there that have done it been sort of super focused and i guess they just collaborate very closely with other firms i think yeah you're very good at the co collaboration and we love a collaboration. Um, but um i do think if somebody's really keen on doing it you know really really think it through you know what's just, what area you're going to practice are you going to be a boutique firm um how are you going to structure how are you going to finance it mm. look at competitors closely um other staff support staff other partners and there is a lot to consider but at the end you and i decided there were more positives than negatives and we did it and we've been doing it for many years yeah and i also think i mean one of the nicest things that someone said to me before we, when we were planning to set up was um you know what you are living other people's dreams so for the first two years people will support you and they will give you opportunities and they will speak highly about you and you know you'll get a bounce in the first couple of years but then once you're established you will be a competitor and you're on your own so take advantage of those first two years enjoy the bounce but be ready um, I think from my point of view, it's, it, you know, I would be saying, I, I don't think there are specific attributes. I do think you have to not just have a great idea, but actually keeping it going and growing it and making it successful and keeping it constantly cash positive, you know, and, uh, you know, from a you know financial management and also a regulatory point of view is really important. And, you know, clients don't always want to pay you or pay you what they owe you. So, you know, those cash flow issues are often overlooked, but... Yeah, cash is absolutely vital. Cash is queen, isn't it? Cash is queen. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I think when you set out, I don't think you necessarily have to look at the profits you're making. You just have to make sure that the cash is there. You generate cash, and therefore the profits profits will come. And you are right; it's not just the idea of doing it. You have to remain focused. The energy you have to put into it is pretty incredible. And you need to plan. So the best thing we did back in whenever it was 2017 is we created a five year plan and we've spent the last four plus years delivering on that plan. And honestly, it made such a difference. Um, and we've been more effective and focused in the last four to five years than we had been in the previous 10 years, just because we had a plan and expenditure and resources and growth. We just measured, is it in the plan or is it so exceptional that it's worth stepping away from the plan to do this so yeah having a sense of you know that you've got the enthusiasm not just to do it but to keep driving it and i think you have to have quite a positive outlook you, you've described it as not being a worrier i i think of it as more you know you have to from my perspective you have to be positive and optimistic and and you know really sort of passionate about what you do yeah and ask for advice as you said the first few years people are generous with you um, when people have asked me, but setting up for, I've said, you know, ask people around you, ask people who have done it. And the likes of you and me, I know um, we do it, but we, you know, we're sharers. We, we share information, we share precedents, we share suppliers' names, our address book. Don't reinvent the wheel with your terms of business and with that. Ask people to share. Yeah. And often they, they will. 
yeah no absolutely hey well look this has been fabulous i appreciate it so much it was really good fun and i hope that you know everyone listening has found it interesting and insightful and, and hopefully even a little bit inspiring as i say if, if you're out there thinking about whether or not to set up your own your own law firm just do it be planned be be cash positive throughout obviously um and try and be kind as well along the way i think kindness goes a long way so thanks so much laura and hopefully see you again soon all right thanks a lot bye bye claire thank you